Amen. Praise God for our worship team. Amen. I can't wait till they have a CD so I can not come to church and just listen to them in the car when it's hot. Amen. So praise God. It's good to be here. Pastor Doug Logan is my name. Guys, you can move as you want. I'm, I'm, you ain't disturbing me. Pastor Doug Logan is my name. I am the Connections Pastor here. People say, well, what's Connections Pastor? I could, our mission as Connections team is to connect unbelievers and, and those that are disconnected from God to God and those that are connected to God to the community and to Christ's mission. So that's my role here. It's been a joy. I am blessed to pastor you crazy lovers of Jesus. I praise God for Pastor Eric Mason, who was my mentor, a guy who loves me well, him and his wife, and excited. As well, I'm the church plant resident here. Um, I'll be Epiphany's first plant in Camden next year. Amen. 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 So, I don't want to waste my minutes. Y'all ain't going to talk about me. So why don't we dive right in to this text? Ephesians 3. Get with me there, starting 1 through 13. As Pastor Mace has been going through um, a stewardship series, it's been a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I believe it has. And we've learned that stewardship is more about money, more than just about money. Amen? But it's a comprehensive submission of all things under the Lordship of Christ. That in that coming in, it goes out distributed by his power and for his purposes. And that is also the very case as we dive into Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, as we begin to now discuss the stewardship of the gospel for mission. As we begin to discuss that. Let me pray, dive right in. I know I did that already, but um, I'm so Baptist, I just got to pray before I preach again to get the order of things back. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It is absolute truth, not implied truth, not speculative ideas, but is absolute truth, holy. It doesn't fail to do what you sent it to do. And through it, we see ourselves rightly. Through its lens, we are to calibrate our lives on how we seek you. So Lord, um, I pray even as I get ready to read this text that we would listen intently as these words are the very words of the living God. These are not a dummy down version, but these are your very words. Might we respond rightly to it? So Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, move me all out of the way. Might folk here who are visiting not even remember my name, but might they remember the name that is above all names? and that is Jesus the Christ. Give grace even now. Lord, I, give us the power. Give me the power that makes preaching easy, the, the power to declare your truth with excellence, that even though broken and raggedy as I am, your word and your power is magnificent, able to work even in broken vessels. Have your way even now in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 3, the stewardship of, of the gospel, the mystery revealed, God's wisdom displayed to the cosmos, so don't lose heart. That's my little summation of this chapter. I want to read for your hearing as we seek to lay this out and walk through this text as we dive into Paul's heart here. Look what the Bible says. And Layla, I'm not going to be long because I know you already betted against me. For the, chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason... 
I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Have you read this? You can perceive my insights. I mean, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known. Somebody say made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, hallelujah, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence, hallelujah, through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Ephesians was written, by way of intro, Ephesians was written on the backdrop of Paul being locked in jail. He was preaching and they, he was preaching and he took somebody into the temple. If we check Acts 21, we won't go there. We'll find that Paul was preaching the gospel of grace to Gentiles and the Jews did not like that a bit. So in the midst of it, there was a stirring up of the people. They said he was preaching against Moses and the law. Therefore, they beat him down and locked him up in jail. And that's the Acts background. So now he is actually in jail and he's writing this letter. So now as he writes this letter for 45 verses, we don't have an imperative except one, which is really just a reminder to remember who you once were. Back up. I'm, I'm going to quick footnote this because I want to bring us to the same place so we land at 3-1 well. So when you look back um, verse 3.1 says, for this reason. So for this reason, backtracking to Ephesians 2.11, look what he says. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what called the circumcision, which is made in the, made in the flesh by hands. Key verse. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. This is a sad piece right here. Having no hope and without God in the world. What a place. We've all been there. But now in Christ, you, once, you, you who once were far off have been brought near whew, by the blood of Jesus. So, so Paul has laid out the description of how and preaching to the Gentiles, he was in jail. And now this picture of the reconciling cosmic power that God did to reconcile man unto himself. 
And now, particularly for the Gentiles who were uncovenanted, distanced, far off, without God and without hope, the blood of Jesus. He, he highlights the key. It's the blood of Jesus that did it. But he mentions himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles in verse 1. And then Paul, inter Paul interrupts himself. You know, Paul is good to break into a benediction in the middle of a paragraph. He, he, he's done that through the text. And he does that here. So he's, look what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. If you have an ESV Bible, it has a long hyphen there. What that means is he stopped, he digresses. And then from 2 to 13, that's one big run-on sentence with a parenthesis around it. If you write like that and you go to college, you're going to fail. <laughs> so this big parenthesis, Paul is highlighting. I mean, Paul stopped praying to write a prayer. Because you'll see, look what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, look where he picks his prayer up. I bow my knee, verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father. But he stops this digression. We are going to explore that interruption. That interruption. So that, you see now the Gentiles have been brought by the blood of Jesus. He is in prison. And then we land in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. And the highlight of this piece, I want to lay out five points. And they all start with H because that's how I do. And... Um, the first one is hardship. Five ways that we live out the truth of this new community, this new society, since we've been brought by the blood of Jesus into one family, I see five ways that, that, that is sticking out to, for, um, for me in this text on how you and I are called to live this out. One way is hardships. S suffering, enduring hardships through suffering. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. So Paul is in prison, suffering. I want you to notice no verse between any of these has Paul complaining. Somebody should say amen to that. He, he's not whining. He's not bitter. But he's enduring hardships for the sake of Christ. We are called to en endure hardships for the sake of the gospel as well. And so this is Paul's heart. You need to notice as he starts here, um, up until this point, he has given a biography. Now he moves to an autobiography as he shares his heart from this text. That's why he says, for this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner. I, Paul, am suffering the hardship of being locked down and locked up because I would do anything to declare the excellencies of Christ for you Gentiles who were once afar off. For the word hardship in the Bible, it has several meanings, but none of them are good. They're all rough. To have trouble, to have distress, to feel pressure from a circumstance, to have a sense of being in a narrow place, claustrophobia. They come in many shapes and sizes. See, hardships come without warning. Sometimes they're for a short time. Sometimes they're there for a long time. Paul, I believe, is serving under this hardship. He's serving under this hardships. So we, the church, just like Paul, are to suffer hardships. I just want to get that out in front. 
We are going to suffer hardships, pain. We will give up comfort and distress for the mission of the gospel. We will give up our goals that we had before Christ for the sake of the gospel, that his name might be glorified. So what am I saying, college kids who've come to know Jesus in your college time? Maybe you had plans since three years old and God is changing them right now. And maybe you're fighting and wrestling with it because it may be harder for you to do what you think God is saying now. And maybe you're not going to fulfill the dreams that your mom and grandma and them had. So you think you can fall away and ignore Jesus because your goal becomes supreme over the mission of God's goal for your life. I want to encourage you to listen to God over your desires. Might all of our desires die at the cross? And might we, might, might, but they all die and might they be enlivened to us through his love, through his grace and for his mission and for his glory. Let's kill our glory. We don't deserve glory. We, we deserve death. We are co-conspirators in the murder of an innocent man named Jesus. Therefore, we are called to surrender all that we have and die and go forth in the power of the gospel for the sake of his name. Our name is tainted. I'm so glad the angels in heaven signed my name because if I signed it, it would have been blood on it for the murder of Jesus. But I'm so happy that we can come and surrender. And I want to say this to you, make you feel better. Your goals probably, some of your plans was bad. You just didn't know it. Some of y'all, some of our college kids, they, y'all took two breaks to find yourself. You weren't lost and the credit, then the bills were still coming. Lost. Now I'm lost in debt. I got a 22-year-old in barber school, and that's only a year, and I'm broke. We must keep focused. Yeah, and it's going to hurt sometimes, but we are to stay focused. Paul is speaking on being a missionary to the Gentiles, and though he's in jail, he's focused because he uses the language on their, on, my beha- on, on your behalf. That means for your benefit. So we get a glimpse into the missional focus. Notice he's not complaining. I want to emphasize that again. And he flips prison. Notice how he flips the prison dynamic. So I told you he was physically in jail for preaching to the Gentiles. And, but notice what he says. He didn't say, I'm down at the county in Ephesus. He didn't say, I'm at, the, I'm at Camp Hill. You know what he said? I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. See, Paul understands sovereignty and providence. These are key as believers to understand this. See, these are the two things that often fall apart when you get into a fight with another Christian. These are the things that often fall apart when the gospel is at stake and we can't reconcile and be friends after an issue. This is often the thing because a weak view of God's sovereignty will always crumble under suffering. So God says, look, I'm in prison, but I'm not going to acknowledge that, though it's true, and I am here. Watch this. I'm really a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he sees every opportunity that God takes him through as a missional opportunity to declare the the beauty of Christ to any context. He ain't scared of jail. He was there in Acts 16, and folk got saved the last time he was singing in jail. Will you take your opportunities, like Paul did, to make it a mission opportunity? Or will you complain about how God hasn't delivered you yet? Will you fight with God and shake your fist at him? 
because he hasn't given you all the comforts of the world. You know, we would pray God away. We would say, Lord, have your way. I'm going through all these troubles. I pray that you would take away my bad friends, my bad credit, my late phone bill, and get my phone from being interrupted because it's been turned off for three days. I pray even now, God, that you would do this. We say all that. And then after you're finished, God, you leave too. I'm so glad God doesn't take away all my problems. Keeps, he keeps us on our knees and shows his power and his presence in our lives. I was at a conference yesterday and Sinclair Ferguson said, he said, when we, the church continues to walk in the natural in hardships and not walk in the reality of the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, the world looking on continues to be underwhelmed. I said, Sinclair, why are you picking on me, man? I was taking him to the airport and I was messing, him, messing with him. I was like, what did you mean? He began to unpack. And I said, well, I'm not going to say it like you because you're from Scotland, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put North Philly on it. As we're through hardships, as people look on, as you claim Christ, and as you walk out this faith, as you walk out, the, out this gospel by faith in Christ, as people look on, might they see the reality of the supernatural God working on you and in your life, that they might be overwhelmed with the reality of Christ? Might they be overwhelmed? What am I saying? When you're going through, don't walk around complaining all the time. We used to sing in the old church, I had some good days. We, we, we used to sing, but what's the tag? But I won't complain. Our complaint says, maybe God's not with us. I beg to differ. These hardships, so Paul saw the reality of providence and sovereignty. God is working in all that we do. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and call the coin to the purpose. And he's sovereign. He can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. Will we wait on him and trust him and use every hardship as a missional opportunity? So he, he, he continues to unpack and he says this. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Again, we're back on your behalf. So the stewardship of our grace, it's this administration or dispensation, the idea of dispensing the grace of God. But this special stewardship was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Let's make that plain. See, Paul was not an inventor of this grace. He was not, he didn't self, he wasn't self-appointed, but he was appointed by God for the message of grace. Here's the reality, but it cost Paul something. What am I saying? Epiphany, stewardship of God's grace is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your life. This calls for hardships often. And what, some of the times, what are some of the hardships? Emotional hardships. Financial hardships. Paul was beaten and shipwrecked. He was no stranger to that reality but when our lives are devoted to God's mission and ministry, it's all right as we go through hardships because we know that the living God is with us. 
we know that he's not, the devil doesn't win in our lives. We know that he's defeated when we walk through hardships confident and cling to the crucified one, Jesus the Christ, knowing that he's defeated death, he's borne the wrath that we deserve, we can take great comfort and joy in knowing that he alone is able to be with us. He is present with us in our very present trouble. He is present with us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't run out when the times get hard, but he's with us even now. Even when you don't think he's there, he's there. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in the context of suffering, he says to be imitators. So as we seek to imitate God, while we imitate him in sacrificially giving our lives, and giving ourselves to the one who died and paid full price for that life. What am I saying? Don't get mad when you come across different trials in your life. Don't complain. Don't whine and moan and shake your fist at God. Don't do that. Ask him to grow you and show you himself in big ways. And ask him that he might comfort you and that you might focus on the main thing, his mission. This is what Acts 14, jump over there with me, Acts 14, 22. Look what the Bible says. Acts 14, 22, the Bible says, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So I don't know what the preacher on TV said about everything supposed to be okay. I don't know who lied and told him that lie that he told the lie, that soon as we get saved, everything fades away and we just pray and money comes and then all of a sudden we buy a house, drive off into the sunset and just wait for Jesus to come back. That's a lie from hell. But through, but through many hardships, through many tribulations, through many arguments, through many fights, through many nights of depression and sorrow and brokenness, broken relationships, messed up money, family issues, friends falling out one with another, through many things, we must enter the kingdom of God. He's with us. He challenges us. He's given us his word as the divine GPS to walk this out. And our, our divine example is Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2. Get there with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. The Bible says this when you land there. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So when you're suffering, will you, will you entrust yourself to your Lord and to your king? Or is he only your king on a good day? I'm a fair weather guy. You know, I, I, I get on the bandwagon on the, I've, yeah, I get on the bandwagon for the Super Bowl every year. I just win every year. Will you, you've been, through Christ, we've been entrusted. There's an entrust, and there's a, there's, a, there's a unity in Christ. Will you seek and understand the reality of that unity? 
God is going nowhere. If you're in Christ, he's with you. And there's no demon that can beat him. He's undefeated, the undefeatable God. There's not a close second. There's none like him in all the earth. So as we endure hardships, we also, as my second point, as we endure hardships for the sake of the gospel and declaring it, as we serve in ministry and on mission, we also must be heralds by speaking. We must speak the gospel even through hardships. Look at 2 through 6. They're back in Ephesians. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And when he says written briefly, he's saying the letter he's written already, not a second. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is the reality of God calling all people, as we hear in the Psalms, calling all people to surrender and come unto himself. But in this context, he's talking more about the Gentile barrier being broken. Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men and of the generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are to be heralds. We are to speak God's word on his mission to make known what's been made known to us, that Jesus Christ has come to make a new humanity and he's calling people to himself. He ins- as, as, he, as he throws in there, he says, by the way, you know that God gave me a special responsibility, Doug Logan translation, of stewardship of God's grace, of extending his grace to you Gentiles. He's explaining what it means to be the people of God and he's explaining what it means to walk out Ephesians chapter 2 as he explained to them what God had done to bring them in to right relationship with him through the blood of Jesus. So now, this would have been hard to get. I don't know about you, but when I came to know Jesus, it was hard for me to get it. I had been the chief of sinners, a nasty booger. I had been to church. I had prayed. I had tried all types of ideas, all types of religion. I was a goofball, churchgoer, and all of that stuff. And when I came to realize God's grace and this deep separation that I had, man, oh, man, I I received Jesus in April, and I'm still figuring it out. Maybe you're like me and still figuring it out. Maybe you're still overwhelmed by the reality of this grace that has, that has brought broken, undeserving murderers in close with extravagant love. Verse chapter 1 talks about his extravagant electing love that he called him in unconditionally by, by, by the counsel of his own will. That grace blew my mind. I call it spiritual shock. I used to just sit there and start crying for no reason. I used to wonder if this was true. I used to read and read. I, I, just, I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. Pastor used to say to me, Doug, cheer up. The happiest person this side of heaven is a born-again believer in Jesus. That was a hard reality. Maybe you suffer from that same hard reality. Maybe you walk away filled up after singing and maybe that emotionalism is not a connection to Jesus. And then it wears off before you get to broad. This grace is so big 
And when I think about this dividing line of Jew and Gentile, it must have been nuts for the Gentiles to say, man, we can be in? We've been out for years. How can we be in? Look at this room. Said it early service. White, black, Latino, all different classes. 70 years ago, they blowing this place up. You don't got to say amen. My wife is white. I've been called all types of names at restaurants. 70 years ago, black, white, gathered under the name of Jesus, we smell like Birmingham in here because they're blowing places up. But look at God bringing black and white, Latino, rich, poor, suburban, urban, suburban, all together under one banner, under the unity of the gospel where he's calling all people to surrender all their stuff. This is a key verse here. This, this, is a key, this is a key idea. In this idea, see, the Jews thought that they were the model humanity. This is the whole thrust of Judaizing. Judaizing said, in order to be a Christian, you had to get circumcised, you had to be a Jew first, then be a Christian. Paul says, nope, mm-mm, we're not doing that. He said it without a podcast. He said it without a TV. He said it without a bookie. He said it without an email. He declared that in Christ, all come. So Jews, everybody must come to the banner. You are not the model humanity. I'm the model human. So everybody has to come to me. I'm the only one that has, 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 has satisfied the wrath of the Father. In, in, in Jesus, he's fully pleased. So now we all come running to the cross. We all come bringing our stuff, broken, busted, and disgusted. We, we don't conform people to our image, but we're all called to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is a big grace. This, a big, this is a big gospel. So those uncovenanted people, we see Jesus even talk about them being dogs that eat, from the, eat, eat off the dirt. So the Gentile dogs, he's now saying, look, you're in with full authority. You're not a stepchildren of God. You're not a second class citizen. But he's saying all, everyone, that when you come to this cross, we're one new humanity, one new family with a new king and a new kingdom. This king is Jesus. And here's the difference from this king. It is his kingdom is everlasting to everlasting. It can never be dead. It can never die. Satan and his, and his demons can never come up against it. On this rock, I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No demon, no devil, no cancer, no liar, no fake preacher, no mess, no sin of mine, no sin of yours can thwart and hold back and push out the reality of this gospel that is uniting all people under the banner of Jesus that flows through the blood of Jesus that we just are washed into his blood and flow right into his arms. I'm glad about that. I had no way to get there. If Jesus hadn't used the vehicle of his blood to get me in, I had no ticket. Back when I, when I was used to go to the club, they'd put the little thing on your hand and then they put the light on it. Without Jesus, you ain't got no thing on your hand. You just get to the door and they send you out. I don't care if you're a lady and you, and you pull your dress up and your shirt down, you don't get in. I don't care if you complain about how you're so hurt and broken and they should let you in. You don't get in. I don't care how much money you have or how much money you don't have, you don't get called to unity. We all, song used to say, at the cross, at the cross. Where I what? So in Christ, 
This big gospel and this big grace has united the Gentiles, the uncovenanted people who were a once afar off. That's a big word, afar off. That don't mean like Broad Street. That don't mean like Jersey. That means like a place I don't know and I try to tell you to get there. That's a far off. That's a far off. And our sin was this barrier and Jesus has satisfied it with this big gospel. So he's made known. He's made known. And so you and I are called to declare that same gospel as heralds that herald this truth to a world who doesn't know. To a world that doesn't know. As we, on our Epiphany visitor card, I wish I had one. I'm going to steal the sisters here. The idea of this mystery and, Christ, and being made known in Christ, this was all about speculation. If you see our visitor card, it says, why did this have to happen to me? What is salvation? Does anyone really care? Where can I turn? Should I worship Buddha? Should I worship Allah? Should I be a Jehovah Witness? Should I worship God at home? Should I send my money into the 700 Club? What should I do? The world is left to speculation. In Christ, we no longer have to guess. The gospel, Christ has been revealed through his gospel. And, we, and Paul says, I didn't get that through an email, but I got that by revelation. So in Christ, we move from speculation to revelation. And that's not some spooky revelation. That's some new covenant fulfillment, all in Christ, thrusting us from guessing and wondering and depression and ambiguity to the sure foundation of Christ, our solid rock. So before I jump off of this, I want to make clear what this mystery is in this passage. It's the radical eradication of the barrier between Jew and Gentile. So the believing Gentiles are now received all the blessings of God. Believing Gentiles are now brothers and sisters with believing Jews. Believing Gentiles now inherit the promise of God. And just like verse 6, this is what it says. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus and through the gospel. This is a parallel to the reality of marriage. In marriage, we see in Genesis 2 when, when Adam and Eve became one flesh. This is an illustration of that. We see in Ephesians 5 that man and, man and wife at marriage become one flesh. So God, through his gospel, is illustrating the start of the process of, of the Messiah bringing back all the fragmented and alienated creation and bringing it to fulfillment. Ephesians 1.10 says this, as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What does this new humanity look like as we're heralds in this new humanity, in this, in this, in this new thing, this microcosm called the church? This microcosm is between creation and consummation. We exist in this microcosm called the church. So what are we to do? as we are heralds and as we suffer hardships, I tell you, we are to love God like crazy. Worship him like crazy. We are to invest in one another and love one another and be a part of one another's lives daily. 
We are to care for one another like crazy as we function as a new people, a new humanity, and a new kingdom with a new king. So you and I are called to live this out. So the church is a proclaiming community. So as they look on how we do life together, either they run from us they, because we're so mean to one another and they can get that from the club, or we create an atmosphere of grace that has all the broken running, looking for a hug, not just from us, but from Jesus. So what does this mean for us? There's a lot of folk that don't know this mystery. That's why we're heralds. We have to tell of his grace being amazing, of his love being extravagant, of his mercy being magnificent, of his forgiveness. His forgiveness is forever. His power is infinite. His word changes lives but never changes. It ever stands as truth. His reign is real and relevant. His character perfect and holy. So now that we are called to endure hardships in the midst, tell and declare God's truth, we're also called to help others through serving. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Diakonos is the word there for servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul says, I have a specific calling here. A specific thing I'm serving and I'm doing. It's the gospel. And I got it by the power of God working it out in me. As a steward, Paul was dependent on God's grace in order to minister the gospel of grace. See, the gospel flows from grace and points to grace. Verse 1, 6 says this, And to the praise of his glorious grace, which with he has blessed us in the beloved. So we're called to serve. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. So no, you can't pour my water. I'm all right. And no, we don't come here to be consumers and just come here to critique the sermon. We just don't come here to talk about how it's hot and we need air conditioning. We talk about that, but just not all the time. We just don't come to beat up on people who don't understand how we understand. We don't beat up on people whose church is maybe more traditional. That's not... That's not serving. That's just complaining. But Jesus says, I came to serve. Philippians 2 does well to unpack his heart here. Chapter 2 I'm joined to verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, my, um, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Service. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not highly prize it, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." even death on the cross. 
the perfect servant, dies the perfect death, and, he, and he, he lives out the perfect humility. That's our model. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, as we serve as this new humanity, as we suffer hardships, as we speak and herald God's gospel, we also are called to help others through serving, diakonos. We get the word deacon from that. And the model servant is Jesus. He serves as great high priest right now as he makes intercession for us even now. He's coming back for his church to consummate and put everything under his feet. So we live in that tension of the already but not yet. But we live with a blessed hope, an eschatological hope that's concrete, that he is coming. And we have a firm foundation in the reality of his declaration that he is coming back for his church. So we're not called to serve ourselves our lust, our desire, our ideas, we are called to serve Christ. I don't want you to miss this. The very thing that we are dependent on to sustain us is grace. Is grace. And so the thing we declare is grace and we're dependent on this grace, we're being saved, we're saved by this grace and we are being saved by this grace is this grace that we declare so it's from grace to grace. So I want to encourage you, don't be a double agent. Don't punk out and be saved by grace and then live by performance. Teaching, discipling, going from one conference to the next and depending on porn, depending on sex for your energy, depending on women or maybe men for your energy, depending on your parents for your energy, depending on money for your energy, depending on energy drinks for your energy. depending on your gifting. No. We ought to serve as, serve as recipients of grace. And we ought to point people to that same grace in Christ. Galatians says, how have you started in Christ and have veered off the track and running on yourself? Doug Logan translation. So what started, he asked the question, who has bewitched you? See, that's not suffering and enduring hardships to be a faithful herald of the gospel. That's fulfilling the lust of your own desire. See, we used to sing back in the old church, my hope is built on nothing less, say with me, than Jesus. I dare not, but holy. What do we stand on? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. How much other ground is? All other ground is sinking sand. Don't lean on anything. Serve like Christ served. Be obedient to death. We used to sing, I would trust in the Lord till I die, but we lied about that song. I did. So our hope is built on nothing but Jesus. And Paul says, God has gifted them to me through the work of his power. And Paul is the recipient of God's grace through the gospel. He says he's the very least of his saints. So while he's suffering and heralding, I want you to notice he says that in light of the context of the gospel. I want to say, as you serve Christ through hardships, through heralding, and now as serving, the more you do that, the more you're aware of your sinfulness. 
So Paul says, after all that, I'm the very least. I'm the least of the least of the saints. You can tell he's been with God. Because if you've just been with your neighbor, you always can be better than them. Especially when they leave and you talk behind their back. You can always be better than them. But when we're with Jesus, he points our sinfulness out. And we're like Isaiah, undone. What has to die for us to be undone? That we might serve him and recognize our brokenness that makes this grace a reality. The unsearchable riches of Christ he makes mention of right here. Look at Ephesians. We're back. We're in Ephesians 3 still. To him, though I am the very least of the saints, so the grace was given to me to preach the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means without a footprint. That Greek for unsearchable is without a footprint. It's untraceable. So God's, God's riches is untraceable. You don't need to trace it. You don't need the routing number. The routing number is Jesus Christ. But his riches are unsearchable. In that, in that reality, this is why we worship. Because we long to be with him forever in heaven. As servants of the gospel... We suffer hardships while being herds of the gospel and helping through serving. We must also highlight and show off Jesus. He says this. I got about six minutes. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church. So we are called to highlight. The church is the highlight reel for who Christ is and what he's doing. And that's the manifold wisdom through the, and this is the manifold wisdom of God. This, this Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary says that the, the church is the theater of God's wisdom. So this new comprehensive community, this proclaiming community is to serve throughout the universe as an object lesson of the wisdom of God. We are to show forth God's intent to make a people for himself. Paul uses the word manifold, key word, multicolored, multi-hued, vastly rich tapestry of God's wisdom. And he says this will be no, this is a cosmic reconciliation, he says, because it's being made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So he's making known to the rulers and authorities. He's saying, let all the universe know and bow that God is using his church to display his intent to call broken men unto himself and create a new society where Christ is king. This is the reality. So every time I want to say to you today, if you're here, and as Epiphany is planted three and a half years ago, we are a testimony of that cosmic reconciliation. We are the reality of Genesis 3 being fleshed out by the power of the gospel. So I want to encourage you today, the serpent's head is being crushed. He has sent his son to crush him. We are moving cosmically towards consummation to be all in all in Christ and, and, and without death and without pain. We are on perfect track. God hasn't missed a beat. His mission is not jammed up. The gospel is unstoppable. He is making the people. You are a testimony to the devil that his plan is not working. My last point, which is a couple of minutes. 
I need two showers when I get finished, so I'm not gonna hug nobody. I promise I'm not. So we've been called, we've been called to suffer hardships for the sake of the gospel, to herald the gospel for his mission, the ministry of helps and service. I'm getting so hot. And the fourth point, we were supposed to highlight the gospel as the manifold wisdom, as the church. And now this last one is we are to hold to God's grace. Look what he says in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Verse 11 says this, which is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Hold. What am I saying? It is, it is though Christ, it is through Christ that we have been made a new humanity, a new kingdom. And we are to hold on to that truth over anything else. Hold on to that. Don't abandon that. And sometimes we're so wishy-washy, we go in and out of that. I'm encouraging you to hold to his everlasting hand. He opens up and he says, we have access Unique access calls for us to be bold in power of our God, to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. So we are bold because that has been done. He has cleared the way for us not to lose heart and to be poor stewards of the gospel of Christ, who is the treasure of the ages and the, nation, and, and the treasure of the nations. And we should have boldness in this because our God is reliable. I'm closing with this. My dad was a rough dude. He's a believer now, been saved since 1991. I love him, talk to him about every week. He owes me $20 right now. He's 80-something, so every time I ask him, he just plays the senile game. I can't call him a liar when he's listening. He'll still hit me. He was a hard man. He was a hardcore alcoholic, abuser. He's okay with me telling his story. I don't know about you, but I still wanted to please him. And I didn't even like him. I can't remember liking him. Can't remember. Sometimes I would try to remember if he got me a bike or something. He, he just didn't. I didn't like him. He was a hard man. But maybe you're like me and you still tried to please him. I tried to please him. I play baseball, pop, I come home and tell him, yo, pop, I knocked it out the park, get out of here, boy. I'm drinking If I smack you in the face. I think I played sports and tried to get, I think my energy to be a good athlete was hinged on one of these sports. I played four sports through my time. One of those sports was going to please him. So I'd come home, I scored two touchdowns, I don't care. I hit three home runs, I don't care. I hit 20 points, I don't care. And I was still hurt when I didn't please a man that I didn't like. It was hard for me when I came to Christ to see God as father. Because my father was a, was a dude that was 
incapable of pleasing, and he was messed up. Now, the heavenly father is perfect. My father is messed up and I couldn't please him. Well, how in the heck was I going to please this perfect God? I'd rather not bother. And the more I didn't bother, the more broken I got. The more depressed I got. But I didn't try to please God. I tried to please my father. Because I said, if I can please this one, maybe God will take me. Paul is giving an acknowledgement in this long sentence. I couldn't please him. I couldn't please him. So when I read this passage and did this study this week, when I read this, he said, according to his eternal purpose, he had a plan that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, not in my attempts to please him. In whom we have boldness, I like that, and access. Not like a punk and not scary, wondering what's going to happen, but with confidence through our faith in his finished atoning work on the cross. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. So now, when you think of God, don't think of him as some principle, some cosmic principle that will chop your head off for getting something wrong. The wrath has been satisfied completely in Christ, and I'm glad about that. You and I are incapable of being shiny enough and good enough to please God and warrant any grace that wouldn't be grace anymore. So now when I think of the access and boldness through what? Through the blood of Jesus. Though he's already died. He's already paid full price. He didn't lay away salvation. He paid full price. Now I see him no longer as impossible to please, but I see him satisfied in Jesus. So no longer do I see him as a cosmic mean principle, but I see him as a father in which I don't go before him wondering if he's going to strike me dead for getting it wrong, wondering if he's going to be pleased with my home run, but... He's okay with me striking out. He's okay with me missing the basket. And I can come to him not as a cosmic judge who's about to cast sentence, but as a loving father who I can sit in his lap and tell him how, how messed up I am and how desperate I need him. Maybe you're here today and God is like some cosmic mean principle. He's not. He's not mad at you. If you're in Christ, he's madly in love with you. because he's very satisfied with Jesus. No longer chase to please him, but we have bold access. We don't have some weak, burnt access. We don't have some bootleg access. We have bold access through the red carpet into God's presence, the blood of Jesus. So take heart, take comfort in that reality. Christ has satisfied the wrath of the Father. Thank you, Jesus, the song says. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this long sentence that I made longer in a hot day. And we pray, God, that you would melt in our hearts that we are a part of that new humanity. We have bold access. 
The barrier between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. We're all called together at the cross. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. And we pray, God, that your grace would be deeply realized in the midst of our brokenness. So we pray that your spirit would move mightily and relieve hurt, brokenness, rejection, insecurities that we even have. I pray that we would have a deep working of your gospel even now. Might we look not to ourselves but to you. So we thank you, Lord, for including us, allowing us to participate in, the, in your mission to make for yourself a new humanity that will be with you forever. In Christ's name. Amen.